of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Amen. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Notice this. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Everything that he gave up to be saved, to, to, to accept Christ and to be Christ. He said, all of that that seems so important to me, I consider it as rubbish, as garbage. It, was, it means nothing to me anymore because Christ is my everything. Hallelujah. And to be found in him, verse 9, not having my own righteousness. And this is so vitally vitally important, not having my own righteousness, uh, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him, oh hallelujah, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now let's try to unpack some of this tonight, amen, and, uh, and uh, see what Paul is saying to this church, to the Philippian church believers, and what he's saying through the Holy Spirit to us tonight. Father, add the blessing, your blessing to your word tonight. Help us to minister to your church in the name of Jesus, and we give you praise for it. And everybody said amen and amen. We talked about last week, we began there in verse number one, talking about uh, rejoicing in the Lord and the joy in the Lord. And Paul was, was, was admonishing these believers to, to be joyful, to be filled with joy. And he was talking about the indestructibility of, the, of Christian joy in our life. And the reason that joy is indestructible is because the joy that you have and that I have as a believer tonight is not, is not based on anything of this world or any material thing or temporal thing, but the joy that we have tonight is joy that is given to us by the Holy Spirit, by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and our joy is not in anything in this life, but our joy is in the Lord. And when your joy is based in the Lord and, and its foundation is in the Lord, then it doesn't matter what things may leave you or who may leave you or what you may lose. You've, if you still got Jesus, if you still got Jesus, you still got the joy of the Lord and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Can I get an amen? Praise God. So our rejoicing must be in the Lord and that's what Paul was admonishing these believers here in this particular uh, scripture in verse number one, he said, brethren, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And I think we all know that the antidote for sorrow, and there's a lot of sorrow, and there's a lot of trouble, and there's a lot of that going on in the world today, but the antidote for sorrow is joy, and true joy comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and through knowing Him. Amen. So we talked about, I mentioned several things that will bring joy into our life, and I'm not going to elaborate on those, but I do want to bring them to your remembrance. If you didn't get these, uh, you, can, you can jot them down, but, but a few things that will bring joy, the joy of the Lord into your life, you can ask the Lord for joy if you're lacking joy, you can request joy. David prayed and said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Nothing wrong with asking the Lord for joy if you're a little low on joy. If your joy bucket's a little low and you need some more joy, ask the Lord for it. Also, reading and relishing. 
preaching, the Word of God will bring joy into your life. Uh, you know, Jeremiah said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. So if your joy level's a little low, get your Bible out and read the Word of God, and, and it will put some joy in your heart. When you realize that your name is written in heaven and that you are saved, that should bring joy to your heart because Jesus told this, those 70 of his, those 70 disciples, when they came back from that evangelistic campaign, they were rejoicing. They said, we're so excited. We're so full of joy because the demons are even made subject to us through your name. And Jesus said, well, don't rejoice because devils are made subject to you. He said, this is the reason you rejoice. You should be rejoicing because your name is written down in heaven. So how many has got your name in heaven tonight? Well, then you ought to be full of joy if you're saved tonight. Amen. Reaching others for Jesus will cause joy in your heart and life. Winning souls will bring joy into your life. Jesus said that there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So if there's joy in heaven over somebody getting saved, there sure ought to be joy in the church and joy in your heart when somebody gets born again and somebody gets saved. Amen? Praise God. How many knows answered prayer will bring joy into your heart and life? Jesus said that, uh, Jesus said this. He said, uh, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So, you know, when you need something from the Lord and you pray and prayer is answered, that, that answered prayer brings joy into your heart and into your life. So just some things that bring joy. The joy of the Lord is is our strength and so we as believers we must rejoice in the Lord and later on Paul brings this same thing up again over when we get into the fourth chapter he says rejoice he tells this church rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice so he's and and that's the theme of this book of Philippians the theme of this book is joy and so we need to be joyful no matter our circumstances we can still praise the Lord. We can still have the joy of the Lord. Can I get an amen tonight? Praise the Lord. That's, 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 that's some awesome stuff right there. Amen. So he says, uh, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. We talked about how that that Paul was telling them, you know, and the things that he was teaching them, he had taught them before. He was repeating some things, and that repetition is okay when you're teaching the Word of God. That's how we learn is by repetition. I talked about a couple of weeks ago, I talked about learning the multiplication tables, how we learned those with the flashcards way back in the ancient days. I guess they, I don't know how they do it now, but, 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 you know, we had those flashcards. And they'd flash those things at us, you know, to learn. We had to memorize. And through repetition, we learned that. And that's how we learn the Word of God and the things of God. And Paul said, you know, I've taught you some things, but these truths that I've taught you, he said, I'm not, it's not tedious to me to repeat these things and to write these same things to you. But, th but he said, for you, it's safe. This is for your safety. And that's what he was saying. The things that he was teaching them was so that they would, would not falter, so that they would be strong Christians, so that they would not drift away from the Lord, so that they would not be deceived by false teachers, and he's getting ready to get into that, and so that's, you know, that's the thing. People say sometimes, well, you preached on that before, or you preached that message before, and we go through these, when we study these books of the Bible, we don't really rush through them, do we? We take our time, and we go over some of the same material again because it's through that repetition that we learn some things, that we learn some things about the Lord. Too many people today, and there's a lot of people that are looking for something new, but my, listen to me, we're, we're not looking for something new or a new revelation or something different. We want to get the true, right understanding of what is in this book and live by it and apply it to 
into our life. And if we will do that, then we will have the blessing of the Lord in our life. This is our manual for life, ladies and gentlemen. This, this will guide us. This book will teach us, guide us. This is. People are wondering, and some people say there is no absolute truth. This is right here. This is the absolute truth. His word is truth. It's infallible. It's inerrant. And we need to hide that word in our heart. So Paul tells them then in verse number 2, he gives them that beware. He said, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Uh, that's the new King James. In the King James, it says, beware of the concision. And he's talking about the act of circumcision there. And he calls it mutilation here. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But he's telling them here to be on guard for some things, to beware of some things. He tells them to beware and to be alert against the evils that are out there. And the expression, each one of these expressions that Paul uses here refer to a group of men when he says beware of dogs evil workers and the mutilate and the mutilation he's referring to a group of men who were false teachers of that day who sought they were the Judaizers who went around everywhere uh, that there was a church established a Christian church established they would go around then and they would go in and teach them that uh, that faith in Christ was good for salvation they didn't deny Christ but they taught them that that faith in Christ alone was not enough. They needed to still continue to add the works of the law to their faith in Christ in order for them to be saved. In other words, they said, well, you still, even though you're believing in Christ, that you still need to be circumcised, you still need to follow the ordinance of the Mosaic law. And so Paul was dealing with this, this group of false teachers. They were seeking to bring Christians back under the law of Judaism and they were teaching that righteousness, that righteousness could be obtained by law-keeping and ritual and, and, and that Jesus alone was not enough. And so Paul calls them dogs and he calls them evil workers and he calls them the concision. Now when we think of dogs today, we think of our little cuddly, fluffy pets that we have, you know, which we love and cherish so much. But in Bible times, dogs were not the cuddly little pets that we have today. Uh, they were undesirable animals. They were scroungy, dirty, vicious, untamed animals that ran in packs, and they would hunt amidst the garbage dumps. They would attack people. And dogs in Bible times were considered unclean animals. The term dogs was used by the Jews to refer to Gentiles, those that were outside of the covenant. Those that were Gentiles were referred to as dogs. It was a derogatory term. And uh, in the, the, the term dogs in the Bible stood for the lowest thing that people can think of. And, and it was used to speak of degradation and of people who lived vile lives. And so Paul was not giving a compliment to these false teachers when he called them dogs. He said they're unclean people. You need to beware of them just as you would that just as you would be careful and be weary of a of a of a wild savage dog that was about to attack you and that's what he was telling them and i'm going to tell you this same goes for us today can i get an amen same goes for us today in this last day which we're living in we must be always beware of those who would try to bring in false teaching false doctrine proclaim and i'm telling you there's all kinds of it out there. You can find just about anything that you're looking for. But that's why we need to work and to know the Word of God. And Paul is applying this term to these Jewish false teachers that were seeking to corrupt the church and that were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ by adding to the gospel. And Paul was saying, watch out for the infiltration within your church of mere professors of Christianity. Christianity, professors of Christ. He was sounding the warning for all churches to beware of any and all influences that might weaken the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that might 
turn us away from the truth. And church, we've got to be on guard today more than ever before in these last days because it's in these last days that Paul spoke of that time when he said that uh, evil men and seducers, deceivers would grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He said that in the latter times, some would even depart from the true faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. There are spirits today that are seducing believers, seducing, working to seduce people to believe a false gospel. But we need to know the true gospel. Come on, amen, and stand for the true gospel. So we must beware of these dogs, as Paul called them, of evil and deceivious workers that he was referring to here. The world is full of those deceivers. And, you know, false doctrine uh, is, is something that false doctrine we have to be very careful of because false teachers how they how they get false doctrine into an individual's life is mixing it with the truth false doctrine always comes into a church or into a person's life through the truth false teachers will use scripture and will twist scripture and give scripture wrong meanings to seduce and to deceive people to believe a lie. So we need to be careful about what we believe. Jude said concerning those false teachers that they creep into the church unaware or unnoticed or stealthily. They'll creep in and uh, bring in their damnable heresies into the body of Christ. So that's what Paul was dealing with in this Philippian church. And uh, the other churches that he dealt with, there were always those Judaizers, those false teachers that came in bringing a false gospel. Paul talked about those in first in First Corinthians, I believe, or Second Corinthians. He said there were false apostles that would come in with another gospel, preaching another Jesus and having another spirit. So just because somebody uses the name of Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that they're talking about the same Jesus that the Bible's talking about. They're they're preaching another Jesus. Anytime they separate Jesus from the cross, they're talking about another Jesus and not the true Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. So beware of those things. We must beware of those things. And so... He talked about bewaring of, uh, he said, beware of dogs, evil workers, and then beware of the mutilation. And when he mentioned that, he was talking about circumcision because these, as I said, these Judaizers were teaching that even though a person had been born again or accepted Christ, that they still had to go through the, the act and the rite and the, the ritual of circumcision in order to be saved. Circumcision was was ordained upon Israel as a symbol that they were the people of God and that they had entered into a special covenant relationship with God. But these Judaizers were Jews that professed that and insisted that circumcision was still essential to salvation. And Paul was debunking this teaching all the way. He said, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can add to Jesus Christ or that you need to add to faith in Jesus Christ to be saved and to be born again. It's faith in Christ and and Christ alone. Amen? Circumcision today, is there still circumcision? There is. There is a, the new birth is referred to as a spiritual circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's a work that's done on the inside of you when you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you, be, you are born again, he circumcises you in your heart. He cuts away 
takes away that, that old heart of flesh, that old stony heart, that old heart that, uh, that, that, that loved the things of the world and that loved the things of, of sin, amen, and uh, that was hardened and distanced toward God, and he puts glory to God. I'm about to get excited. He puts a brand new heart on the inside of you, a heart of flesh, a heart, and I'm not talking about the, I'm not talking about the organ sitting in your chest cavity that's pumping blood through your body, but I'm talking about your spirit man because your spirit man is what is born again and you become a new man or a new woman in Jesus Christ and the old person is crucified with Christ and the new person is raised up to walk in newness of life in Jesus Christ. When you get up, when I got up, praise God. Go ahead and give the Lord a praise for that. That's good news tonight. Woo. When I got up from that altar, hallelujah, and, and you know, and, and accepted Christ and repented of my sin, and I got up from that altar, I wasn't the same person I was when I knelt down there. I was changed, praise God. I didn't look any different on the outside, but I can tell you that there had been a change that had taken place on the inside, and the change that took place on the inside, eventually it started showing up on the outside. It showed up on the outside right away because I came back to church that night. Praise God. That's a sure sign something had happened on the inside because I didn't want nothing to do with church at all. But God changes us. So, amen, hallelujah. There's a spiritual change through the new birth. Salvation and righteousness, being saved from sin, forgiven of your sin, and receiving Christ's spotless righteousness comes how? Not through circumcision, not through obeying any of the rituals of the Mosaic law, not, not by doing any religious thing or activity. And there's a lot of that today within churches, that if you do certain religious rituals, that that's what you have to do to go to heaven. And that's the very thing Paul is, is knocking in the head right here. And he's saying righteousness does not come that way. Salvation does not come that way. But it comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. His finished work and in that alone is what gives you righteousness, a right standing with God, and a new life, hallelujah, in Christ. is through believing in Him and what He did for you at the cross. Amen. I'm glad it's that way. And it's anybody who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. So churches need to be aware today and uh, as Paul was saying here, beware of these people that teach adding anything else to your faith in Christ for salvation or attaining righteousness. Not anything other than faith in the cross. It's not water baptism or the Lord's Supper or church membership or confirmation. It's not speaking in tongues, and we believe in those things. I believe in water baptism. I believe in speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I believe in, um, you know, living for Jesus and becoming a church member. Amen. Being a part of a church. Those are all good things. But those things are not things that save you. Amen. Hallelujah. Water baptism is, a, is, a, is, is something, it's an ordinance of the church that shows to the world what has taken place on the inside. You have died with Christ, buried with Him, and resurrected to wash, to walk in newness of life. It's a, it's a type of Him washing you clean and pure in His precious blood. But it's uh, like when we take communion, there are some churches that believe that their salvation is in that Eucharist. It's not, ladies and gentlemen. It's not. Thank God for the Lord's Supper. We, we do that here. And, and when we do, we make a special deal of it. Amen. 
because it's it's we're to remember the death of the Lord, and um, but uh, it's there's no salvation in that. So to teach that it's faith in Christ plus anything else is what Paul was talking against here. There's some that are te- you know that teach that. Um, you know that that if you that that it, there's some that are teaching that if you don't use a King James version, that you can't. Nobody can be saved unless the pre, it's preached out of the. I love the King James Bible. I was raised on the King James Bible. I quote scripture. Most of the scripture I quote and have memorized have been from the King James Bible, but that King James onlyism is not going to save somebody. Come on, amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're not getting very far. So verse number three. Okay, so he's, he's giving them, telling them to beware of the evil workers, the dogs, the mutilation. And then he says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So there, he's, there he's, he's clarifying what he's talking about. This religion of the Judaizers was a religion of, of the flesh. It was a religion of works, works-based religion. People are doing the same thing today when we add or subtract from God's plan of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, we are the circumcision who worship God, not putting confidence in the flesh, but we worship God, how? In the Spirit. Is that what he said, verse number 3? For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. True circumcision of the heart, a born-again believer, true born-again child of God, worships God in the Spirit and rejoices in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for them. I cannot imagine saved people, born-again people, blood-bought people that have been saved from the pit of hell that just won't worship Jesus. Amen. Now, you may not worship the same way I do, but praise God, Paul said that if we are in Christ Jesus, not putting confidence in the flesh, that we are to be worshiping God in the Spirit. We worship in the Spirit. We serve God in the Spirit. It's not in our works or in the power of the flesh or by our own strength or power or ability, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our only boast today, and I I talked about this on Sunday with Peter, with Simon Peter and his self-confidence and how he boasted that he would never deny the Lord, how he boasted that everybody else would fail, but he would never fail Jesus. Well, and we know what happened there, don't we? But our boast today has in the Lord Jesus has got to be in Christ, and it's got to be in everything that he has done, that Jesus has done for us. And our rejoicing has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not to be placing our, our confidence as those Jews did in a performance of the duties of the law because those works of the flesh cannot save. The Christian trusts in Christ and not in ourself or our own abilities, but it's faith in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus alone. Well, Brother Rick, don't. what about living right? What about doing right? What about doing good works? Listen, we're not saved because we do good works, but when we do get 
get saved. We will do good works because of the what Jesus has put on the end. We're saved to do good works, but those good works do not save us. It's because of what has taken place on the inside of us, amen, to cause us to do those good works and, and live a righteous life and a righteous lifestyle. So in true worship, we enter into the presence of God by faith. We pour out our love and our praise and our adoration to the Lord. And that's what Jesus told that woman at the well of Samaria. He said, listen, God's seeking true worshipers. It doesn't matter. He said, you know, you, you say worship here. The Jews say worship in Jerusalem. And the, the, the Samaritans say worship in Mount Gerizim. Where are we supposed to worship? And Jesus said, the time is coming and now is where it doesn't matter the location where you worship but the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth for God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth amen and that's what Paul is telling this church to rejoice in Christ and worship him in the spirit in the spirit not trusting in our own flesh, but admitting every day that in Christ is our strength. Admitting daily, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's not I that live, but it's Christ that liveth in me. Amen? Now let me, let me go through this real quick. Be real quick. Verse 4 Listen to what he says. So he's laid the foundation here for them to beware of these false teachers that are teaching adding works to their faith in Christ to make themselves righteous. And he, he gives them the example of himself. And he's going to tell them here in these next few verses, he's going to give them his religious pedigree. And he's going to tell them, and we'll see it here, that if anybody should be boasting about religion, it should be him because he was a very religious individual. Yes, he was. The whole time he was killing Christians. But he was still a very religious. He was religious. Listen, Saul of Tarshish that became the apostle Paul was very religious to the letter of the law but was not saved. See, that's the danger that so many are in today because they're religious, but religion will not save you. I think I mentioned this before when I got saved. All my friends said, oh, Hensley got religion. No, thank God I didn't. I got Jesus, and there is a big difference. Praise God. Religion is, is kindly, you know, it's a, religion is a drug. Religion is like an opioid. Religion gives you, it's addictive, doing religious things and being religious because people get religious and that kind of soothes their conscience. And they think that if they do religious things, that they're going to be saved. And that if they do enough good things and enough religious things, they'll stand before the Lord one day. And because they've done all these religious activities, that he's going to let them into heaven. But can I tell you, folks, that being religious is not what gets you or I into heaven. The only thing that gets us into heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ and our faith in that blood. Praise God. He said, Paul said, though I also, verse 4, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. In other words, he's saying, you know, if, if work saved, I'm at the top of the list for salvation. Because I'm, you know, I'm above the rest of you as far in that category. 
And just like most religious people today, Paul had enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but he did not have enough righteousness to get him into heaven. It was not the bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was the good things. And he had, here's the thing, folks. Paul, Saul, had to lose his religion in order to find salvation. You know, when you you talk to people about the Lord, I don't know how many have ever done any one-on-one witnessing to people or sharing Jesus with, with folks on a one-on-one basis. But one of the questions that you usually should ask somebody if you're trying to locate where they are spiritually is, if you, if you were to die today, would you, are you sure you would go to heaven? That will usually locate where they're at. Some will say, yes, I am. Some will say, I don't know. Some will say, I hope so. Well, if they say, I don't know, or I hope so, or no, well, you know right then and there that they're not, they don't have what they need. They don't know the Lord. But some will say, yeah, I'm, yeah I think I'd go to heaven. I'm pretty sure I would But then the next question is this. Well, if you were to die today, and if you were to stand before God today, and God were to say to you, why should I let you come into my heaven? What would your answer be? Well, then you find out where they're at. Because some will say, well, because I've lived a good life. I've, that's, that's top of this, I, because I'm a good person. There's a lot of good people. But being a good person, being good morally, doesn't prepare anybody for heaven. Well, some people say, well, I never killed anybody. Well, praise God, that's good. Amen? But you don't have to be a murderer to be a sinner and to be lost. Isn't that right? Some people say, well, I obey the golden rule or I, follow, I try to follow the Ten Commandments. Or some will say, well, I'm a, I'm a church member. I belong to the first church. Well, that's good. But see, when they go to given that as a reason why, and so many people really believe that, that because I belong to a church or I've been baptized or I, I'm a member of this church or that church, that's going to get me into heaven, and it's not. And that's what Paul was saying here. Some will say, you know, well, when I was a child, I've had them tell me, well, you know, I had one guy tell me one time I was, I was witnessing to him and I was trying to get him to come to church and talking to him about giving his heart to the Lord and, and I said have you ever been saved he said well I was baptized as a Methodist but it didn't take <laughs> well praise God that won't do it and that's what Paul is teaching here in this third chapter He said, listen, Paul said, listen, if anyone else thinks he could have confidence in the flesh, I'm more also. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law. I was a Pharisee. Amen. He was covering all the bases. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm, I'm. A son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Praise God. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which was of the law, he said, I was blameless. What was he saying? Not that he didn't sin, not that he didn't break the commandments, but he was saying, I did 
I, I kept those sacrifices, I, those vows, everything that the law commanded me to do. I took those sacrifices, made those commitments, those vows, and, and according to all those works of the law and the righteousness which the law said that I was to do, I was blameless. He met all the righteous requirements of the law, the offerings, the sacrifices, the vow. But you know what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6? Isaiah said, all of our righteousnesses that we do are as filthy rags in the sight of God and they mean absolutely nothing and they will not gain us a place to heaven. You can give all your money to the poor. You can give to every charity and they make a big deal when somebody does that and gives millions of dollars to a certain charity. But And oh, what a good person. How they must have a reward waiting in heaven. That means squat. That means nothing with God if we leave out the cross of Christ and the blood of the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Amen. All of we, what we do is as filthy rags. But then he said in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, the things that meant so much to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. In other words, all this, all this good stuff that I was and that I was depending on, when I had an encounter with Jesus on that Damascus road, Paul said, all that meant nothing because the power of God knocked him off that horse on that Damascus road and the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he had an encounter with Jesus and found out that him being a Hebrew of the Hebrews and a Pharisee of the Pharisees and being circumcised on the eighth day and, and being of the seed of Abraham that it meant absolutely nothing because he didn't know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and give the Lord a praise today. Woo, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. He said, I counted those things as as, as loss for Christ. See, when a person gets saved, their perspective in life changes. The things that are despised become esteemed. The things esteemed become despised because you're a new creature in Christ. The things that I loved, I didn't love anymore. It just totally, my life was totally changed. Amen? So we need, we, we should be ready and willing to count everything loss for Christ and begin that new life. And everything is changed. And that's what repentance is, ladies and gentlemen. It's turning away from sin and away from the world and turning to Jesus Christ and letting him change, totally change our life. He said, I did count, verse 8, he said, I, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I, he said, I gave it all up to have the excellence of Christ and to have that excellency of Christ Jesus in your life is going to require you and I turning loose of things that don't matter and pressing toward the Lord Jesus and toward that goal of, of being more for Jesus than we can be. And there's not many that are willing tonight to sacrifice to be what God wants them to be. Are you listening to me? I'm about done. Okay, I'm about done. That bride and, and you know, Sister Katie's getting, her and Brother Corey's getting married here in a few months. That bride on her wedding day counts all things but loss to gain that spouse, that husband. That husband counts everything else loss to gain that bride. Are you listening to me? I always, you know, when I'm doing re wedding rehearsals and we do the, we rehearse the unity candle and I have them to take the unity can their individual candle together, they light the unity candle and then I tell them, you blow out your individual candle and I said, you know why you blow out that candle? And they say, why? I said, because that means there's no more old flames. <laughs> Amen. That's the end of that. Glory to God. 
But that's the way it is. When we're married to Christ, we forsake everything and count it all as rubbish that we may gain Christ and have the excellency of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. The farther we go with the Lord and the closer we get to the Lord, the less attraction the world will have. And here's what Paul wanted to attain to. Look at verse 9 and 10 and we'll close. He said, all of this stuff, I counted it all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Counted everything, all that I thought was so important to me, I counted it as rubbish, as dung, the King James says, so that I could win Christ and gain Christ. But look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, all the rituals and all the religious activities, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that righteousness, I'll add that word because that's what the subject is, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God. How? How do we get it? By faith, by believing. That's so hard for us to get. How can God take an old, dirty, fallen, depraved sinner like you and me that just comes to, a, to an altar somewhere or finds a place to pray and says like that, like that tax collector did, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and forgive me. I take Jesus as my Lord. And instantly they are made righteous. It's hard for us to grasp. Well, surely, Brother Rick, there's got to be more to it than that. And the flesh says, oh, you got to do something. You got to do something. No. It's faith. Faith in Christ. Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him, counted to him for what? Righteousness before the law. We seem really excited about that, but I am. I am. To be found in him having his righteousness more than compensates for anything that I've given up and lost in this world. There ain't nothing in this world worth going to hell for. You hearing me tonight? People, there's some things people say, well, I just can't give that up. And that's some of the things that keep people from getting saved. Well, I don't think I can live the life. Well, no, you can't live the life. But boy, when you accept Jesus and he gives you his righteousness and puts his Holy Spirit on the inside of you, he will live that life in you and through you. Amen? To be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness that is through that is, that is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him. That I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And Paul is emphasizing knowing Jesus in a personal way. And that was his desire. Paul didn't want to know about Jesus. He wanted to know him by a personal experience. And that's what we have to have tonight. See, ladies and gentlemen, salvation. I don't know if we know this, but we have to be reminded that salvation is only the beginning point of our walk with God. It's only the starting point. And... That's as far as a lot of Christians ever go. It's so far as far as they many of them get. But I want you to know, Paul said, I want to know him, and I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. See, that's what we, that's what we've got to have today. Do you want a closer walk with God? Do you want to know tonight? 
Do you want to know and experience in your life on a daily basis the power of the resurrected Christ living on the inside of you and walking in you every single day? That, ladies and gentlemen, is spiritual power. When he talks about knowing him and knowing the power of his resurrection, Paul is saying that is the power that is the most valuable power of all. And I'm going to tell you today, tonight that there is no power in the universe that is more powerful than the power that resurrected Christ from that grave 2,000 years ago the same spirit glory to God and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living on the inside of you if you're born again there's no reason for you to be defeated there's no reason for you to be overcome by the powers of darkness because the resurrected Christ and the power of his resurrection is alive on the inside of you tonight that I may know him in the power of his resurrection hallelujah hallelujah that resurrection power is in you tonight to give you victory and freedom to overcome everything that comes your way Hallelujah. Paul said, and come on back, worship team. You've got to get me out of this. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. While they're coming, let me, let me read something to you. While they're coming. Romans chapter 6. The sixth chapter of Romans, folks, is the chapter that everybody needs to spend some time in because it is the chapter that tells us exactly how to live a victorious, overcoming life. How many knows that? Amen? And in Romans chapter 6, verse number 6, look what Paul says there. Let me read verse 5. Here we go. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, here's what we got to know. Knowing this, this is what happened when you got saved. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Hallelujah. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And then look down at verse number 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves, count yourselves, consider yourself. Amen. To be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And that is the resurrection power of Christ. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? Amen. In the mind of God, He was there as your substitute. And when Jesus died, Rick Hensley was in Christ and dying with him. He was putting to death my old man. And when he went in that tomb, my old man went in the tomb with him and laid there for three days and nights. And on that third day when he got up and was resurrected by that power, that resurrection power, Rick Hensley was raised up and resurrected with him to live a brand new life. And when I accepted him, that is what what happened in my life, in your life, we are living tonight. We're dead to the world, crucified to the world, dead to sin. The old man is dead and we're living a resurrected life in Jesus Christ tonight by the power of his resurrection. Well, stand with me tonight. Amen. Well, glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Well, I went a little over time, but you ain't been here for two Wednesdays. I ought to preach for two hours. <laughs> oh, lift your hands and praise Him. Father, thank you.